Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. I'm really going to go off script today and I'm going to drop a very quick podcast because I want you guys to hear this and I really want your feedback. Okay. And in addition to that, after you listen to this, and these are just going to be my ramblings about something that we talk often about on social media. After you hear this, if you have some insight that you would like to bring to the table, I not only am encouraging you, I am not only inviting you, I am begging you to reach out to me, Neil, N-E-I-L, at anytime-soccer.com. Again, it's N-E-I-L at anytime-soccer.com. I am begging you to reach out to me and join the show to help me understand um, the topic that I'm about to bring. So normally we do a show once a week. I'm dropping this one now because I really want to post it on the Facebook groups that, that we manage and get people's uh, feedback. Okay, so if you're a member of any of these youth soccer Facebook groups, uh, then you're going to know or you're going to be familiar with this recurring conversation that happens at what seems to be every day, but definitely at least once a week. And it goes something like this. Either someone from an, a, a country beyond uh, this not American, so either a non-American post something dealing with how much they pay to play soccer or ask a question about U.S. soccer. Or an American posts something about how much they pay to play soccer or ask a question about soccer in the rest of the world. And the conversation invariably uh, disintegrates into a criticism of the American pay to play system. Okay. And the conclusions that most of our non American uh, members make is, wow, this is crazy. Are you telling me you pay anywhere from $1,000 to $3,000 just to play soccer? And the conclusion that many, most of our American members make is, wow, this is crazy. I can't believe we pay so much to play soccer when in the rest of the world, it only costs $100. This is talking, we're not talking about a developing country. We're talking about Europe, you know, uh, certain Latin American countries. It only costs $100, $200, or equivalent of $100, $200 a season to play. This is crazy. The American system is horrible. How does this even happen? And I don't, I don't know enough about either systems to um, come down on a final judgment. That's why I really want to get people who are in the know to come onto the show. But I have lived in London for over a decade, and then I am American. And so I have become a little familiar, and then I do the, the podcast, Inside Scoop. So I have become a little familiar with uh, the different systems and equally important, the parents who live in these different countries and cities to where I want to share an, a, a perspective that I have, which actually then brings up a lot of questions I have that I'm hoping other listeners can help me answer. But the problem is if you go on social media and you try to 
uh, add any nuance to the conversation. So if you if you say anything other than America bad, rest of the world good, you 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 just don't get past this this sort of glass ceiling of perception. And I understand that because social media is really not the place to have any type of deep conversation. And and America has so many issues with youth soccer that it's a good um, default just to say that American soccer is bad and the rest of the world is good. But what I want to do in this particular podcast is I want to give my understanding of what's going on, share a little bit of my perspective on what's going on, ask a couple questions, and hopefully uh, our more enlightened and more experienced listeners can listen to this. And I'm going to send it out to a couple of you as well who have experiences in different parts of the world as well as in the state, can listen to this and give us and our listeners some insight as we head into the next season of the Inside Scoop. Okay, so here we go. Now, for the purpose, so so that I can set this up, I got to describe, and one of our listeners kind of told me to stop describing U.S. soccer, but for the purpose of this, even to get my head around it, I got to describe U.S. soccer, youth soccer, a little bit first, just to tee it up. I, if I had to describe it to someone who knew nothing about U.S. youth soccer, the first thing I would explain to them is I need to put it, you need to put it in two big buckets. There's school soccer. And in the States, school athletics plays a very important role in our culture and our institution and just everything. So there's school soccer. And then for lack of a better term, there's club soccer. Okay, but the purposes of this conversation, we're not talking about school soccer, all right? We're not talking about school soccer at all. We're only talking about club soccer. And within club soccer, it can get a little complicated, but for the most part, there are three sort of big buckets. I mean, you can kind of divide these buckets up, but there are three big ones. The entry level is recreational. I'm just playing for fun. That's it. Mommy and daddy are coaching. The second big bucket is um, club or travel soccer. And then the final bucket is what we would call our academy soccer. And academy soccer is the is a designation. It can be a designation that you receive from U.S. soccer, right? You have these official academies. Now, you can have club soccer teams that are just as good as an academy team, but the academy team has this designation from U.S. soccer. And academy clubs can, many of them, are feeders into a professional club. So all all professional clubs have an academy. Let's start there. So NCFC, the local club, professional club here, which is not MLS, but the level below, they have academies. Atlanta United, MLS, they have academies. But there's some academies that do not feed into a professional club. And I don't know any names off the top of my head, but they just don't feed into a professional club. So, So just understand that. And in general, there are exceptions to the rule, but in general, kids who make those academy teams don't pay to be a member of those academy teams. And those academy teams, for the most part, start around U12. 
Okay. But in the rest of the world, and this is a huge generalization, but in the rest of the world, for the most part, they only have two groups, grassroots and a professional academy. And when I say a professional academy, I'm talking about professional clubs who sponsor their uh, youth academy system. They only got two groups. So if you don't make one of those, if you're not scouted and make one of those professional academies, then you're going to play grassroots. All right. Now, I happen to believe one of the biggest misconceptions that we have on social media when we have this conversation, when we try to compare U.S. youth soccer to youth soccer around the world, I happen to believe one of the biggest Mm, misunderstandings is we tend to compare our club slash travel soccer to the rest of the world's grassroots. And I don't think you can compare it in an apples to apples way. uh, It's just not a one-to-one comparison. So you can't say, wow, in the U.S., you paid two thousand dollars to play soccer, where you can get that same service, that same experience in the in the U.K. for two hundred dollars a season, or or equivalent of two hundred dollars a season. I don't think it works that way. Why do I don't? Why do I not think it works that way? Because I think in the states, we have a unique um, market demand, for lack of a better term by the parent to command or demand a higher level of soccer coaching, a higher level of soccer experience, more contact hours for kids who likely are not talented, motivated into it as much to make an academy team, just by the numbers, not knocking anybody's kid, just the numbers alone, because an academy program, you're talking one or 2% of the population. So my son, for example, you can use my son, anybody, probably not gonna make the academy team at that particular age, but they're getting the equivalent of academy level training. And the only way someone's gonna invest academy level training in a child, who has not yet made an academy team is either they love them or you got to pay them. Hopefully both. I happen to think that my club, both, I think they love the kids and you got to pay them. Where in the, in, in the U London specific, I can talk about London. That's, that's where I live. The most of them. It is inconceivable for the average parent to pay the prices that we as an American pay for our children to receive that level of training. It's it's not even like they see it and they say no. It's inconceivable. It's like a Martian hit them on the head. If you, like when I talk to my, I have a, I, have, I happen to have a, a, an apartment in London. I have tenants who are my friends and when I went to visit them I talked to them about their kids and you know because I'm into soccer they talked to me about football or whatever and I explained this to them and I explained to them sort of how it works and I asked them what they were going to do with their child and 
they couldn't even comprehend what I was trying to explain to them about how we have these club systems that are pay to play and you can pay to play and get all this training, even though your child is not scouted by like Arsenal or Chelsea or whatever. They couldn't even understand it. So then I went out and I reached out to some of my coaching buddies that live in London. And I asked them a question, do your, on average, do your grassroots coaches get paid? And unequivocally, no, they do not. For the most part, a grassroots coach, and I'm, again, I'm narrowing it down to London uh, now, does not get paid, right? And so you do have many who get the licenses and do all this, this stuff that you got to do, but they're really doing it as a stepping stone to get into a, an academy coaching job. Now, in the States, my hypothesis is the majority of our club coaches get paid. They don't get paid enough to live off of. So it's not a full-time job for them, but they receive some level of compensation that makes it worth their while. So part-time or whatever. And then for our larger clubs, you will have a few coaches that are on staff full-time and you'll definitely have a director that's on staff full-time. I don't even think our grassroots clubs in the, in the UK, for example, London, for example, even have those full-time sort of director folks, but that's why I'm putting it out here because these are assumptions that I'm trying to read between the lines and I'm not 100% sure. Okay, so, so then what, what we really need to be comparing is our recreational soccer to the rest of the world's grassroots. Right. And when you compare our recreational soccer to the rest of the world's grassroots, the prices are pretty much the same. Right. Um, you got a volunteer coaching grassroots. You pay your hundred and fifty dollars, hundred dollars, whatever, depending on your region. If you in my area and, and you sign on your kid up for parts and rec, it can be less than twenty dollars for the season. And you have a similar experience uh, in the UK. But here's the catch. Their grassroots clubs, no, sorry, the players that are in their grassroots system represent all those thousands of players um, that we call club. So if my son was in London, if your child was in London, more than likely, they would not be pay, playing for their, for what you call club soccer they would be playing grassroots but the grassroots clubs would be as competitive as what we see as club soccer as a matter of fact someone who owns a um, training company and training software when i see most of the kids play so-called club soccer they appear to me like wreck but that's a, that's for another conversation so so then all the layers of competition within the grassroots um, clubs that they have in the UK, they would have those same layers. We would have those same layers and all that kind of stuff in the US, but they would just be under a recreational umbrella. And the reason our recreational is such, it's such a low level in terms of quality and instruction as well as quality of player. And I'm talking purely skill, not, not the kids in that in that regard, 
is because our parents pull their kids who are the who are into it the most athletic the most into the sport or whatever they pull them out of the rec season uh, system and willing to pay the money to get them into uh, travel soccer and this is what i would consider to be um a cultural thing as well as just a demand because i happen to believe our parents in general, perceive soccer uh, as an activity no different than um, karate or music lessons or coding class or whatever other activity, rock climbing, where in the rest of the world, they, they see soccer as uh, maybe just something. I actually don't know. That's why I want to get people on, but they definitely don't see it the way we see it. it they see it as an activity, but it's sort of something that everybody does, and it's part of the local club, and you play, and you just need a ball, and and you just play. It's not something that you would be paying for in that in that in that regard. Just, I guess the closest we have would be how we would perceive going to the um, back in the day when I when I was coming up, going back to going to the rec and playing. And we used to have um we used to have guys come to um, our neighborhood. This is we getting. I'm probably aging myself. And they would create little teams and then we would play in the rec park and rec and stuff. And it was either free or, or it was like nothing. And we literally would pay, play for bragging rights in it. That, I think that's kind of how they perceived it a little bit. I don't want to lose my train of thought too much. So, 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 so to put that in a bow, I don't think you can compare the thousand dollars that we're paying in club or the two thousand dollars that we're paying in club to the rec to the grassroots experience or the grassroots soccer because they're just different. What I don't know, and this requires um, someone who has experienced both and can think about this stuff very um, analytically. Um, what I don't know is the level of coaching that they that you're receiving when you're in these grassroots clubs and i don't want to romanticize um london or romanticize european soccer because you get these people on here and it's nothing wrong with european soccer right it's nothing wrong with it. it's perfect but i lived in london for a decade and that 99 percent of the pundits just complained about british soccer like that's all they ever did so there's something wrong with it but it may be a lot better than the u.s so we want someone, we want people who can be really critical on in this regard and, and help us think through these things in a more, um, I guess you'd say, help us put it into context. But we know that the grassroots coaches, for the most part, are volunteers and mommy and daddy. And I don't know how those grassroots coaches, mommy and daddy coaching at the grassroots level, but would have grown up playing, definitely understand the game, very passionate about the game. And many of them would have played at a high level. I don't know how they compare to our coaches who gone through these qualifications, probably played in college, and um, and um, and getting some pay. I don't know exactly how they compare. And then the final thing to that is the best analogy I can give to sort of how grassroots sorry i lost my train of thought i got an email the best analogy i think i can give to when you want to compare grassroots to grassroots is our 
Hispanic leagues, especially in my area. So comparing our Hispanic leagues to grassroots is a better comparable for understanding, I guess you'd say U.S. soccer in that regard, right? So my son, my older son has played, played for all these Hispanic teams um, when he was younger, right? And we play in all these different leagues and, um, and it was cheap, real cheap. And it was very family oriented, the team mom, her son played and the coach, we paid the coach, but it, he was kind of, it's kind of a labor of love. And I'm actually going to bring him on the show. It's more of a labor of love because we paid him a little bit, but we practiced almost four or five days a week and we played all the time. Okay. Well, we were classified quote unquote as wreck, but we were, I guess my Republican friends and we were wreck in name only. I mean, we, we were hardcore, right? Hardcore. Right. We played in all these tournaments. We played in all these recreational leagues against other Hispanic clubs, but it was really, really cheap. And um, uh, oh, and our players also, as they got a little bit older, started playing for our local clubs where you pay the money and stuff. And at least four or five of the kids that were on my son's team were the best kids or one of the best kids on those club teams that they went and played for the more established club teams and and we weren't even topping our league many sometimes we won a league a lot of times we didn't so there were other clubs that we played hispanic clubs where they were beating us down and then there were ones that we beat down as well it's really really competitive and so i'm saying all that to say if you have your community's best players playing in a league, I don't care what you call it, it um, it's going to be competitive. So this whole notion that, oh, I left rec because it wasn't competitive. Well, yeah, you, you left rec because it wasn't competitive, but it doesn't really have to be that way. And But what I don't know culturally, I understand culturally in our Hispanic communities why a coach how how it how these coaches volunteer and they volunteer the same way they do in the UK in terms of it's a parent who is who um is coaching their kid but and they're normally an ex-player or they're really passionate about it and they're not receiving a lot of money and I can kind of see that and I've experienced that but I don't know what it will take for us to turn our recreational program into the equivalent of what we see in the rest of the world as a um, as a grassroots program. So I don't know how we can get our most gifted athletes, our most uh, promising players who don't have the funds to do the whole travel soccer thing. I don't know how we get them access to a coach in a competitive environment that's comparable to what they would receive in the grassroots. And I don't know how that coaching in, in that grassroots roots levels compares to the level of coaching they would receive, say, at my son's club, where we pay that, you know, that, that amount of money that the rest of the player, people in the rest of the world will balk at. So 
this is just a rant. In summary, it's a little bit more complicated than just comparing, oh, $1,000 here, we pay $100. It's a little bit more complicated than that because we're getting a paid coach. We're probably getting more contact hours. We're probably getting a licensed coach where the person who's receiving the 100 paying the equivalent of $100 is not because at the end of the day, something has to give, right? The math is the math. So I've tried to explain it, and I don't want to ramble too much, but I tried to explain it to the best of my ability. Now, there is one more overarching thing that gets introduced into this conversation that I also want to point out, and then I'll wrap it up. Now, at the professional league, at the adult professional league, for us is MLS, and then we have all these other professional leagues within the pyramid, we have a closed system. And closed system just effectively means in order for you to join these leagues, the, pre, uh, the owners of these teams have to approve you and you get some kind of franchise agreement and then you, you become a licensing agreement and you become a member of the league. You don't, there's no promotion and relegation. Where for the most part, the rest of the leagues are open. Well, they definitely, it definitely works together, right? But at the same time, you can have a closed league and not have a pay-to-play system. And, or you can have a pay-to-play system and not a closed league. So I, I don't want the closed league part to confuse it because sometimes people lump pay-to-play and they think they're talking about everything. And the reason I don't want to confuse it too much, and that's why I'm kind of doing this podcast, is because Remember, American parents are paying or demanding a product that just doesn't exist in the rest of the world. And that product that they're demanding is uh, independent of anything else that's going on in soccer. It's no different than, than you know me saying I want to pay someone $100 a a, a week to train my kid. That's a product that I'm paying for. It has nothing to do with pay to play, has nothing to do with recreational soccer, has nothing to do with the closed league system. Our club, American parents forking over $2,000, $3,000 for club soccer is a unique product that they are introducing into soccer. That's not normal in the rest of the world. And so it doesn't matter what MLS is doing. MLS could tomorrow, MLS could go pro real. That's not going to eradicate this desire by American parents to get a qualified coach, four days of training uh, for a kid who is at a recreational skill level. Now, I mean, as a matter of fact, I'll wrap it up with this. I often ask the um, folks I interview from, the, from around the world, what happens to the kid with average skill who can't make an academy, average skill, if their parent, what happens to the family? What's the best way to say? It? What do the parents of kids who have average skill and average will do? Um, what, what, what soccer opportunities are available for them when their kid can't make the academy? And quite often the um, person I'm interviewing will say they just play grassroots and I'm like okay I get that but what if they want the same what they perceive to be 
is the same level of training they would get at an Arsenal Academy and money is no object. And the, the answer invariably, invariably, it's always, well, you pay for grassroots and you probably pay for some um, additional training. And then there are a few clubs out here um, that has started that are kind of close to our pay to play where they promise you academy level training for grassroots prices or and then they those independent clubs will play the academy clubs in a hope to uh, make an academy team and that's london and i've read a lot about uh, other parts of the world as well not going to go into a lot of detail but some parts of the world have these soccer schools which are created by ex-players and um yeah you pay the um owner but they're not making that much money. And, and again, their whole thing is to prepare you to make an academy team. So there are a lot of different models out there. And that's why I want to talk to folks who are familiar with this stuff. But I do want to act, I do, I did want to drop this to say, man, are, are we accurate and actually trying to make a one-to-one -one comparison um, between the US soccer and the rest of the world? And if we are, um, yeah, please come on the show and help me understand that. All right, this is Neil Crawford. This show is sponsored by um, Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is a web application that has over 101 fun soccer games and also, also over 1,000 100% follow along um, video, training videos. We're not going to win the marketing game. I actually just saw an ad pop up in my feed today uh, that looked amazing. But then when I drilled into the content, it's just a bunch of 20 second videos telling you what they need you to do and then have you going with it. So we're not going to win the marketing game. We're going to try to win the content game. Um, so definitely check us out at anytime-soccer.com if you want to join for free and you'll see what we're all about. All right. Well, thank you so much. Let's get better together.